Hello and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a classical podcast. Oh, we made this mistake last time. Is it? Are we a classical podcast, podcast? about classical things? Podcast, we're not a classical podcast. Classical We've only been hitting it for a year about classical, but we're like the high point of podcast. Ergo, the classical. Oh, so you mean like in future generations, yep. they will look back on this as the golden age of podcasting? Yeah, exactly. And like, we are in it. Yeah. So like when Dante was writing his 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 um, commedia. Like he would say, this is a classic. So we can say that too about our podcast, oh, right? Can we? AJ has a look like he has a stomach bug. He he looks like he's going to be ill. I'm a little hungry. Oh, is that what <laughs> it is? Sorry, I tried. <laughs> uh, so I guess as we've referenced, my name is Thomas Magby here also with Graham Donaldson. Hi. And AJ Hannenberg. Moop. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's one way to say hello. And today we are going to be discussing uh, a few things, including wit and judgment. But if I know anything, brevity is the soul of wit. So thank you everyone for listening. This has been classical stuff you should know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and oh. you know that that line comes from a guy who's not brief not, at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's that big old, big old when people yeah. say that, it's actually a joke because that's is like couched in lines that are being not brief at <laughs> he's all. He's the windiest windbag. Which I yeah, guess he is. is. <laughs> well, speaking of windiest windbag, Grimdall. Hey, let's get this. <laughs> you want to take it started. away? <laughs> so many moons ago, <laughs> you guys were nerds. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, we are. So many moons ago, oh, AJ okay. and I recorded a podcast on metaphors, and if you go back and listen to that one, it was back when there was just the two of us, and we were and sharing a microphone. We were sharing a microphone, oh. and it kind of sounded like a tennis match because it would be like back. <laughs> And, and back forth. and forth, yeah. And back. But now, Thomas, you have come, and you have been that, uh, the part that has elevated the whole. Yeah, And sure. um, anyway, so if you just, so you don't need to go back and listen to that, but to summarize it very briefly, metaphors have uh, sort of three things. You've got a tenor, a vehicle, and a turn. Um, the tenor being the thing you're talking about, the vehicle, the image that you're using, and then the turn, the thing that you're saying about the tenor. And the soprano. So, <laughs> so if I, <laughs> that's right. Yep. Um, so the example that was used in that podcast was AJ is a lion. Uh, the, the tenor is AJ. I'm talking about AJ. The lion is the vehicle. That is the image that I'm using to ascribe characteristics, denoting and connotating things about AJ. And then the turn is everything you can say about AJ based on everything that is connoted in the word lion. Um, royal, regal, fierce, dangerous. Harry. You can keep um, going. Naps when he eats. Yep. Uh, that, that is actually really true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, AJ is a food camel. He eats once a day yep. and then just sleeps after that. He's kind of like a snake. Yeah, yeah, just... I really am. And I just take a nap and just digest for a while. It's yeah. kind of annoying if I like haven't eaten all day and I need to work, but I'm like, I'm shaking. I need to eat food. Need food. And then I'm out for like yep. an hour. An hour and a half. <laughs> um, but so that, that is a metaphor. And metaphors are sort of difficult things to create. Uh, and what we did on that podcast was um, we analyzed them. But the, um, there are mental muscles that uh, are used to create this metaphor and to understand this metaphor. And we're going to talk about those two mental muscles today. And they are the mental muscles of judgment or the, or the analytical or dialectical part of our brain and wit or the synthetic part of our brain. Um, so we'll start with analytical. So what do you guys think? What, what is the analytical parts of our brain? Of our ability to like think. what they do? Yeah. Like question, um, um, critique, um, uh, see what's wrong with something. Um, I don't... Or maybe... Yep. yep. Those are all true. I've studied this a little bit. Yep, do you want me to yeah, jump, jump in? in? So the analytical side is primarily concerned with separation and delineation. Mm -hmm. So this is separate or different from that in certain ways. This is separate. For, or, and But another piece of analysis is I think what you're referring to as wit. It's where you're 
gluing things together or comparing them. That's they right. are similar in the following ways. So th these are, um, so the common topic of comparison is what these two uh, muscles, we're gonna call them mental muscles, fall under. And there's judgment and wit. Judgment is being able to say how things are different, pull things apart, talk about differences between two things. It's very useful if someone's trying to pull a fast one or if someone's trying to make a spurious correlation between two things or a spurious comparison between two things. You'd be like, well, actually, um, your parents' bedtime laws are not like Hitler. Like that okay. is that. Like <laughs> that's that is a stretch. You, yeah, because a you notice key differences, mm -hmm. right? You can say this is separate and different from that. And even the the function of a judge, right? He is delineating mm -hmm. categories, right? Mm -hmm. Saying you have done this following thing, you are a criminal. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like separating you into a an area. I that's guess. right. So being someone who can judge, being someone who has a strong analytical mind, is an important thing. Um, and then the opposite, not the opposite, but the other side of this coin is the category or is the ability, the mental muscle of what is sort of commonly called wit. And that is the ability to put two things together. It is synthetic. It is being able to see similarities in things, drawing comparisons in things, and, and pulling things together. So the is best there, example, oh, sorry, go ahead. Is there any limit to this? Like, or is, I feel like. Is it supposed to be um, unlike things that are <clears throat> we find a similarity in, or can I say two tables are like each other? Because well, yeah, you sure. can, and then you need the then you need the the analytical side to say whether or not that synthetic whether or not that wit is sort of helpful to the discussion or not helpful to the discussion. Um, the best example <laughs> that I remember of, I heard about this is something AJ. I'll let you tell the story because you heard it at a uh, I think it was like a classical. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, I was at a conference and one, a guy was talking about this, the capacity to compare two things. And he says, you can literally compare anything. And uh, I was in class and this is, so this isn't me telling the story. This is this other guy. And he says, I said, give me two things that we can compare. And well, the student's like, Achilles and a carpet. And he's like, all right, so what's. Clearly what's, trying to be. Yeah, like, trying to be like a little punk. And so, and he's like, all right, so what's the similarity? And then one of the other kids goes. Agamemnon walks all over both of them, and that is just witty, hilarious. Right? Yeah. That is witty, and yeah. the wit comes from being able to put these two things together. Now, in that sense, that is wit with uh, with humor, and you are almost doing a pun on walking uh -huh. on a carpet and walking over all over yeah. a man, mm -hmm. and that is that is very witty, and that is a, an attractive thing for a human being to be able to do. I think we are attracted to witty people. I think that's why I'm asking if there's like a certain kind of comparison that's, because when I think wit, I think of the humorous kind, but I'm guessing there are different types of wit or levels so. of wit. Yeah, or, so there's definitely the humorous wit and uh, and the lighthearted wit, and, it, and that shows that the person has the capacity to... Um, uh, sort of think of on different levels. I think in terms any, of language, he's thinking about puns and also on on physical walking. Um, but it's also uh, a really necessary necessary category. The the, the synthetic uh, aptitude of thinking is really, really, really important. And it is my posit, or I'm positing for this podcast that it is a very underdeveloped capacity in modern education. Yeah, that we love analytical. And we um, don't 
we, we, we sort of like wit, but we don't teach it or we don't place any sort of prominent importance of it in well, the classroom. That's because it can't be taught and it's all natural, right, Graham? It, no, it can't what? be. It, there's no way that what? it's all natural. <sighs> I mean, I don't think it is. I mean, it has to be, uh, it, it's definitely something that can be taught. I think it's an exercised faculty. Earlier in this podcast, Graham was trying to say, you came on the scene, you became the, the I think, what, you what did you- elevated the whole. You elevated the whole, but I was going to say, he's the yeast to our hops. <laughs> He makes the whole right. thing work. He's the spark to our combust. He's the spark plug to our combustion engine. Yeah. Right? There's there's something that he brings to the mixture Thanks, that makes the whole mm. thing function, and that's that's where wit is. Right, forcing your students to make those comparisons. Exactly. Um, and so you practice you practice this by forcing them to make those connections. Well, you say here are two things. Find the similarities. Sh- I should. Oh. I, I don't necessarily. I actually. I, it's very. I have very rarely made them do a witty assignment and i wish i did more and i want to do more the most i've done is is i've tried to make them make up metaphors in well, any poetry com- assignments isn't any compare contrast assignment yeah and any compare contrast assignment is is this as well yeah the compare is the wit mm-hmm. the contrast is the judgment that's right so it's a is pract- that yeah it's an exercise in wit and judgment is is that when you say compare contrast is that like a specific type of assignment you give mm-hmm. in literature yeah you can say Compare. Take this book and compare and contrast it to this other book, and you say the student will end up saying like it's similar in these ways and different in these ways, and that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. And that's a good, that's a fruitful writing exercise. It doesn't need to be some big grand conclusion about life. Mm-hmm. You can use that as like an easy little writing assignment, uh, so you can help judge their writing. But then they have to think in terms of of comparing and contrasting. Um, when I think about wit, whenever I read those. Wall Street Journal articles or any sort of article that says we need humanities, people with humanities degrees, uh, we can't let humanities degree die. Humanity degrees die. And usually the one of the main reasons why they these analytical sort of articles thinking. say this is critical not thinking. just analytical well, it's thinking. because we're attractive. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because it, it, it usually has some sort of component of we need people to think of analogies, that analogies oh. are helpful things for us to be able to bridge gaps in understanding. Like we need people in boardrooms who can uh, draw two things together in order to uh, and to convince people for, for going ahead. Fine. I, I totally agree uh, w- with those sorts of things. But it is true. Um, literature and humanities is the place where um, this sort of human faculty of wit is, is developed. Because if you want to be witty, if you want to be able to compare things, you need to have a big receptacle of things to draw on. Yeah. And you need to have spent some time sort of analyzing or thinking about these things uh, so that you can draw upon it. So that you can think about analogies. Um, and anal- So, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm assuming people know what analogies are, but an analogy is where um, you uh, are saying something about, almost like a metaphor, you're saying something about a tenor using a vehicle of another image. So like a sports analogy. Um, uh, if you said, if someone was incredibly privileged, um, you could say that, you know, they were born on third base and mm-hmm. thought they hit a triple. Like that's sort of a, that's a joke that, that gets thrown around. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. I like but that you're one. using a sports analogy uh-huh. to say something about someone's attitude. Um, um, and that, that is an example of wit. Yeah. And oh. that is an example of wit and being able to do that, um, is a, I would say like a criminally underdeveloped faculty, um, uh, we, we, we in the modern education world prize and push forward analysis 
and not synthesis. And that analysis is like useful, isn't it? Like So synthesis, very useful. I think we push what we call critical thinking. Yeah. yeah. And critical thinking is most often an exercise in judgment rather mm-hmm. than wit. But then, and and then we I don't know, it's it's easy to look down on when the kids are making jokes and comparisons when sometimes that's a, a very useful it's true. exercise. Yeah, and I, and so you see this in the students uh, when they are you Often the very witty kid is sort of the kid that's a little irreverent um, and he's making these jokes and trying to see what they can get away with. And um, yes, it eats into the, you know, critical thinking, serious analysis of the class. But that is a skill that is um, uh, a really sort of prized thing. One way that we can think about this and what the one way I like thinking about things is um, my eventual posit is that there needs to be a balance of these two things in the human soul, that you need to have a balance between synthesis and you need to have a balance between analysis, the dialectical and the witty. Uh, there needs to be a balance or your those imbalances are going to create a specific a sort of a kind of, of unhealthiness in a person. So if you were um, uh, sort of weighed heavy, if you had too much uh, analytical, too much dialectic and not enough wit, what kind of, how would you describe that unhealthy soul, that unhealthy person? What, like what would they be like? Like a yeah. critic. You're a uh, critical jerk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you are always, you're somebody who's always seeing through What's something. wrong with it? Yeah. <laughs> it's just as good. No, it isn't. Yes. Um, <laughs> you're that Well, guy. actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're the, you, are, you are <laughs> the well actually of the crew. You are the well actually kid. You can always see the problem with something. You can always demystify something. You can always, well, to use the modern uh, term that is big in uh, in sort of higher education right now, you can deconstruct mm. something. Um, pulling things down into their parts. Um, but I think, AJ, we must have talked about this on some earlier podcast, that there is a danger of pulling things down into their parts too much. Did we, I, I don't forget where that was. We were talking about dialectic, mm-hmm. maybe in a Plato podcast. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. But yeah, if you keep on really pulling and pulling and pulling, it's it's fine to learn what a house is made of, but when you're done pulling it down, you have no more house, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, if you can pull something apart, if you can sort of talk about, uh, and um, if you go into you know, higher level academics in literature, you could have an entire class that is not reading the book. It is deconstructing and pulling apart the book based on some sort of modern political uh, poli-sci sort of theory of the world. Um, and it is... It is, you know, we talk about lenses. We talk about seeing things through the lens of X. And really what this is, is this is this is the dialectic. Uh, this is the judgment um, uh, faculty. Again, an important thing, but kind of put into hyperdrive, put into overdrive, pulling things apart, pulling them into their into their pieces. Um, but, then, but then what? To what end? Not really knowing what to do with it. So instead of reading the book on its own terms, you're reading it, I want the Marxist reading of Shakespeare. Sure. I want the feminist reading of the post-colonial whatever. reading there of is. Hamlet. Yep. And I'm going to look at it with this, this sort of this, 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 um, this mech, this sort of, uh, heuristic mechanism of pulling apart in the back of my mind, um, in order to, um, sort of unravel the story in front of me and, 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 and give a, uh, and give it a, like, a um, it's a, it's a social commentary type of way of, of judgment than um, than a lot of what we talk about how we, we we should read a book like we talked about a couple of podcasts ago. Yeah, I, I wonder if we're stepping too far away from the strict common topic of comparison versus contrast, like mm-hmm. analysis versus synthesis. 
but and we're kind of like leaking into destruction versus creation mm-hmm. but on that same token there, there's a i feel like there's probably some programs out there where you might come out the back end knowing how to pull a book down to its roots but you can't write to save your life sure mm-hmm. you can't you mm-hmm. can't come up with a story you can't take disparate elements mm-hmm. of books you've read and then put them together in a way that is pleasing mm-hmm. right you've read plenty of stories about kings but you don't really know how to make a king yeah you're saying that so that is that would be a part of synthesis is the is the act of well that's that's my point is i think we're oh. getting a little further from mm-hmm. strict but, synthesis and analysis into creation and destruction yeah. but it's just an attitude of of looking at academia as a place to like beat things with questions until you get their parts versus learning how to take those parts and make something new mm-hmm. from them and, which i don't think is probably an epidemic in engineering i think those guys oh. work with parts all the time mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah but that's the criticism of critics, isn't it? That they can make fun of something, but they can't make it themselves. I think mm-hmm. I mean, there's something to that, isn't there? Like we should care more about the creation of things, even if they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, in this fantastic book called Norms and Nobility, A Treatise on Education by David V. Hicks. It is an amazing book. I highly recommend it. Unfortunately, oh. to find it, it's like 50 bucks. And it is and super rare. It is not an easy read. It folks. is not an easy read. Um, but he sort of says that the... that. Uh, the student who has too much dialectic and sort of revels in the pulling apart, eventually the terminus is cynicism, yeah. is the pulling apart mm-hmm. uh, and and um, and feeling sort of this sense of smug superiority because you've been able to see through everything. But at some point, you're going to have this incredible crisis because if you've seen through everything, um, you see nothing. Yeah. Because yeah, everything else is empty. Yeah. And guess what? So are you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there needs to be a, a building up faculty. All right. So what would be the unhealthy person who had too much wit? This is a little harder. Like, so if analysis is to like cut through something to see what's behind it, then Mm -hmm. they would be like swept up. Um, they would not be discerning. So capricious Mm -hmm. maybe change. Yeah. Change easily. Yeah, I think this is it. I think it's someone who who changes easily or who doesn't have the capacity to judge when something is like too much of a joke or mm. doesn't have the capacity to judge propriety. Uh, um, or they're the witty fool. Yeah, um, they, they can't they can't see what goes into making like, I don't know, maybe they can't delineate parts or they can't judge. Yeah, I'm not saying anything mm-hmm. important. Everything is everything is a witty joke. <laughs> I realized halfway through that mm-hmm. sentence it wasn't going anywhere. Um, everything is, is, I, I kind of think of Oscar Wilde a little bit. Mm. That everything has this sort of uh, a witty turn of phrase where you can put two things together. Um, and um, whenever I read Oscar Wilde, we just started teaching Oscar Wilde in the senior English class. Um, I just every time I read him, I just want to sit him down and be like, like, sir, like Oscar, you need to take some things seriously. <laughs> But, um, but isn't there I mean, kind of cynicism he, in by him? the end of life? Yeah. He kind of did. did. Oh, he did. Yeah. He yeah, did. He, his life changed. Um, he, his life definitely changed. But um, but the idea being that if your soul is one that is sort of overly witty, um, you're the jokester that doesn't know that doesn't know when to be serious. Yeah. Uh, I've had a couple of students where I've you know where they part of you know I, I had to critique them and I said you're funny. You know you're funny. Everyone in the class thinks you're funny. And that will completely swallow you up unless you know the time when it is to be serious. Yeah. And I kind of said it, not thinking it was going to be this sort of big thing. But the student came back a couple of years later and said, you, that when you said that, that was like this big revelatory thing for me, which is 
kind of the fun part of being a teacher and the terrifying part of being a teacher. Um, But there needs to be this balance between judgment and wit. You need to have the ability to have the dialectic, to pull things apart, but you also need to have the ability to see the connections between things um, and to, to take these parts so that you can talk about the whole. David Hicks says that the dialectic is the more important. I, I tend to agree that judgment is more important than wit. But if you are just Judgy McJudgerson forever, um, uh, um, you're going to, yeah, you're going to sort of uh, lose out in the long run. And you probably won't be the most fun person to hang out with, right? Yeah. Yeah, you need to, yeah, there needs to be some levity. Um, well, I guess, so what is, what does it look like? So if I want to practice analysis, mm-hmm. I think that, so... That ties in really well with the how to read a book that's like, you know, do I agree with the author or not? On what points do I agree with the author or not? Understanding an argument, tearing those things apart, right? But then with with wit, I don't know, do I read lots of things and compare them one to the other? Well, let's take how AJ finished his last podcast on Gilgamesh. He said, you know, story, story, story. He told the story of Gilgamesh and then he said... Gilgamesh is someone who has struggled, you know, the, the very first thing that was, that we had, the oldest story that we have is some, is a, is a person struggling with death, which is just like us. There it is. That, 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 that's a very simple wit. Yeah. That's a very simple joining of two things together is to say that, you know, um, this character is, is like us, um, that there is a shared humanity between, between people. And this is where I want the conversation this podcast to move, you know, to, to sit in for a little bit, because... It is, a, it is a fundamental belief of the classical education that human beings are normative. Or what I mean is that there is a human yeah. nature that transcends history. That the thoughts, feelings of Gilgamesh, he had the same heart, the same mind, the same fears that Magby, Hannenberg, and Donaldson have 1,300, 3,500 years later. And will have until gene splicing. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it will have until we can like. They read the abolition of man. Oh my goodness, that's we'll, the fun. I actually, we'll do some podcasts yeah. on that one. Um, now, some, there are probably some of you that are listening to this, and you're like, "Well, duh, yeah, that's why we can read stories and have this common currency with with ancient ancestors." But that is def- that is not a um, uh, that is not a, a held belief. I would say in our modern world. Um, even in the the Enlightenment, you know, or if you take if you come into with with Voltaire or uh, Rousseau talking about the, the the baby is just a blank slate, the tabula rasa, yep. that human person comes and they are completely uh, um, man is know, born free and everywhere in chains. That's right. There. Yeah. And, and and so um, that is a view. That is an anthropology. That is a view yep. of a person that has um, flavored the way that we teach. Or the way that schools yeah. have gone, the way that education has gone, is that people are blank slates, and if we, and so we get to them and we we put worldviews in them. Um, classical education ha, uh, has a f- sort of this posit that human beings have a nature, that there is a human nature um, that uh, generally, this is why it's, we call it normative as opposed to deterministic, um, that general generally reacts to things in the same way there is a um there's like well to use gilgamesh uh, gilgamesh uh, had a fear of death um there is a part of the human person that contemplates and thinks about their mortality that is a shared belief going back or that is a shared part of the human nature going you could back. go even more basic uh, c.s lewis talks about this in the abolition of man when you see a waterfall 
what's your reaction to seeing a big majestic waterfall? It's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. You stand in awe. You feel humbled, mm-hmm. right? Very rarely does one look at a waterfall and feel nausea, mm-hmm. right? You feel like you have to puke. That's or not like, a normal. F you waterfall. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you don't look at it and feel angry unless you're jealous of its beauty, which mm-hmm. is still the same reaction to the beauty. Now, and here's the controversial part. Um, the tabula rasa type of way of thinking about a person says, if a man looks at a waterfall and feels nauseous and a man looks at a waterfall and feels humbled, um, we can make no claims about which, about anything about those two men. They are just different people with, with different reactions. Whereas the normative view of education says one of those reactions is superior to the other. Um, one of those reactions is a mistake or a, uh, or, uh, not the way one ought to. To, a, right. to react to the waterfall. And I admit that that is a claim that kind of ruffles my feathers. I, really? Maybe maybe just because like... Oh Whoa. Sorry, maybe because <laughs> I'm just... just punched his pop filter. Just, like um, full on swing punched it. Maybe because like, you know, we are... I am a modern person. Um, uh, but I, I feel like... Or maybe it's just because I'm a... a uh, what's it called? A Canadian. Canadian, um, ah, yes. And I'm conciliatory. I want people uh-huh. to get along so I don't want to make statements that, that rub people the wrong way. Uh, I want I want to be able to say like oh well if the waterfall makes you feel nauseous and like you know hey you do you um, <laughs> go take some pills yeah just take some <laughs> Pepto Bismol and uh, um, there's be okay hey. but um, yeah one of the, the this this sort of normative structure of classical education says that a big part of our education is to make a student love what they ought that's yep. Aristotle. Um, to make the student love what they ought. There are things that are worth loving and there are things that are worth hating. There are reactions to things that are how human beings are supposed to react to these things. And um, the idea of original sin or the idea of the brokenness of humanity or the fact that education is like a hospital, a fixing, Mm -hmm. is not just a Christian idea. This is the Stoic. This goes back to Stoicism. This goes back to um, Platonic, the way that he talks about the academy. Um, that the school is meant to um, uh, almost like restore man into right. an image of what he ought to be. And we've talked about the... Yeah, we've talked about the ideal type about, talked about the ideal type before. Um, but so the, um, the ideal type in regards to um, this mental muscle of comparison is that you need to be someone who is both uh, analytical and witty. Someone who can both um, have, you know, the capacity to judge and the capacity to synthesize. Um, And that is a, like... That's controversial. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's it's incredibly controversial. Yeah. And um, schools operate, and I think lots of schools sort of operate the way that they were taught like teachers teach the way that they were taught and those teachers teach the way that they were taught. And I think it's very rare that schools sit down and say like, what is a human? Right. <laughs> and what, how do we think human beings learn? And, um, uh, are humans blank slates and we can put whatever we want in them. And if we want humans to be a certain way, we can teach a certain way or are human beings kind of like plants. And if we put them in the wrong soil, no matter what we give them, they're gonna, they're not gonna work because they're in the wrong environment or whatever. Thoughts on this? I agree. What you're saying is that um, the idea of a normative education is controversial, and obviously, I agree with that. Um, 
but I just don't know how you can, you just can't approach the works that you all teach, um, without that being true, or at least approach them, um, honestly without doing that because Homer is not saying, you know, this is a Greek ideal. He's making statements that he thinks are true. Um, you can't read, um, what do y'all read in 10th grade? Uh, have New World, Frankenstein. New World, Frankenstein, uh, Paradise Lost is the, is Paradise the centerpiece. Lost. Yeah. So, um, can't read Paradise Lost without, um, engaging it on Milton's terms. Um, so yeah. Um, but I, I do understand that of, um, it's hard to have that conversation. Like, I don't know how you have that conversation directly of you think this is dumb and you're actually wrong. Like at, at some point I, I hope we talk about how do we know the right way to approach these things or what is the normative, like when we talk, so, um, the idea you're kind of pointing to is that there's a, a broad development of a person that a student does not just need education dumped in their head, but they need to be cultivated into a, a an adult human. So we have some kind of idea of what that end point looks like. Um, it, it might be interesting to talk about how we know what that end point is um, because we don't agree on it. Like, I don't know. I bet the three of us would have disagreements over what that end person is. Lewis actually says that that's true. There are disagreements involving the, he calls it the Tao, the ideal type, the ide- but there are, there are certain things I think we would all agree about, right? The, the good man is kind, right? That's, that's an easy no. one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, and so it says there is, there is room for development there, but we all have a notion in our head of certain things that are good, just base level. Like it is better to know the truth than to be mistaken about lies right Mm -hmm. that is part of the tau it's better to know what's actually going on than to be mistaken about it um i was i've done a lot of thinking about this so i had a long conversation with a friend of mine about about relativism which is kind of like what you're talking about and and universalism which is the notion that there are lasting norms in man right that underneath our moral compass are a set of virtues that don't change through the ages there are still still variants There's variation. Rome can look very different than Greece in what they posit as ideals, but um, um, but there are still ideals. Yeah, never has there been a society where true cowardice is praised, where like you give up your children to be slaughtered because you don't have the moxie to stand up to the people to slaughter. Backstabbing your friends is a is a great the great ideal. Yeah, like great job, buddy. You really like. Stuck got one t- over on your friend. Mm-hmm. And, and granted, like the Spartans stole, but that was the ideal. In service there was, of a higher ideal. In service of a higher ideal, which was the protection of the nation. So we had a long discussion about this. And I, I've always been a universalist. But I, the question I've been kind of bumping up again against lately is in school, uh, particularly for me because I'm an English teacher, is how do you make sort of this synthesis type person? And I think that's kind of what you're driving at, Graham, is how, how do we bring that into education and Teaching the books is kind of strange, but I think we operate under the assumption that if we expose them to enough great literature, they're going to end up being Shakespeare's themselves. When I think what is actually going to happen is they'll be able to recognize Shakespeare's, right? They'll know what's good and what's bad. Hopefully, or sorry, when you said that, my immediate reaction was they'll like some people are going to learn to hate Shakespeare because they're going to hate um, Julius Caesar and Romeo and Juliet. Right. But I mean, if ideally if we do it right and we keep on showing them good books, they will be able to see, recognize yeah. a good book when they see it, not necessarily love it, I'm not, but I'm not, they'll I'm, know it. I'm not saying that that reflects on you. I'm saying that like they might find it so difficult in a, in getting into Shakespeare that like that initial negative reaction, I don't know. 
Well, let, let's assume that things go well. Shakespeare is coming at exactly the right time and things go sure. well. Yeah. What we've done is made a bunch of people who recognize Shakespeare, not people that can Make write like Shakespeare. And yeah. so there's got to be a different, a different set of building blocks that we're not quite tackling that I'm trying to figure out how to work into my curriculum, well, which uh, might be like, take this sentence, write it 45 different ways. You have to change it. You have to move things around. And that is the skill of synthesis. Is com- and then tell me which one hits you the best. Well, we're conflating two things. Um, uh, so norms and nobility, uh, David Hicks says that classical schools have three academies inside them. They have the Academy of Math and Science, they have the Academy of Art and Writing, and they have the Academy of Letters, uh, of basically literature. And in our school, we have writing and literature in the same class, with literature definitely getting the lion's share of the time and writing getting the sort of the, 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 sh- um, the shaft of the time. So um, there would be... It's true. Yeah. Um, there, so... It, it, um, there needs to be both. There needs to be like the, the actual create the, the the training of the art of writing, and right. then. Mm-hmm. But what I'm what what, we're, what I was talking about with with sort of wit and judgment is the is talking about um, the human person by using um, by using humane letters, stories, and and history. Uh, I'll give you an example of a analytical class assignment and this sort of synthetic class assignment that Hicks talks about in this book. He tells a story about a teacher who was teaching uh, Plato's Mino to his students. And do you remember, does anybody remember what Mino was all about? Uh, it was the second in the Eni. Yes. You know. uh, eeny, eeny, mino. No. <laughs> eeny, meeny, mino. I, I don't remember. Is this the, the outline of the... So the, the, and then Mo, the, the fourth the, in the series. <laughs> the question in, in, in Plato's Mino is, can virtue be taught? Hmm. And so he did the, the, the way the teacher taught this one year is he made the students read the book, didn't tell them anything about it, and he came back and he quizzed them on what was Plato's argument about can virtue be taught. Um, and the students, you know, on varying degrees of success, uh, could write out the, the argument of Plato, and then he kind of talked about it, and the students didn't really care, and they sort of memorized what the argument was. They could, and then they could talk about what they didn't like about the argument, and then they moved on to the next book, and he kind of felt like, it didn't, you know, it didn't really. The stakes were too low. The stakes were too low. Um, but he had done a good analytical uh, thing of it. The students on a test could write down the six syllogisms of Plato's argument done. Um, next year, he tried a different way of doing this lesson, and he tried to do something that he would consider more synthetic. Before he even read Plato, before he sat down and he asked the students, can virtue be taught? And he sort of basically had a roundtable discussion of can virtue be taught. Then he said, go home. I want you to ask your parents. Dear parents think virtue can be taught. And I want you to come back and tell me their answers. They went home, asked their parents if virtue could be taught, came back, and and then had this. And then before they read the book, he said, the assignment is, I want you to write down a statement of whether you think virtue can be taught. Your thoughts. Can virtue be taught? Student came down, wrote a statement of can virtue be taught. Some students said yes. Some students said no. And with sort of predictable teenage reasonings, and then they went in, and then they, uh, and then they studied Mino. And the students that you know sort of had similar arguments to Plato were like, "Well, Plato's obviously a genius <laughs> right. uh, because we are so similar." And students that had a very different argument to Plato were like, "Wait, no, no, Meyer," and then they, and then they they had this back and forth um, with Plato. They had to synthesize. They had to 
they were judging. They had to judge their argument and Plato's argument, but they also had this this uh, synthetic quality where they were having to uh, take the things that they had thought and then add this new thing that they were learning into the mix, and then and then you know sort of dialectic pull that pull that thing apart. So yeah, AJ, I mean you summed it up perfectly. Like, the, the, he gave stakes um, for. Uh, for the reasoning. But the reason that the teacher can confidently do that is because he believes that fundamentally every human heart in that classroom has the capacity and wants to think about topics like that. And if the student doesn't want to think about topics like that, the student needs to be shown why he needs to think about these sorts of things. Like the student needs to be awakened. It's not just that that student is a blank slate that that topic doesn't resonate with him or uh, he doesn't need to be sort of taught that sort of thing, or he just hates the waterfall, and that's cool for you, man. You hate that waterfall. Um, no, the teacher can uh, has to have the fundamental belief that, um, that this kind of assignment um, energizes and uh, that this kind of assignment is something that the human soul wants because he has a, a normative view of the human person. I mean, so, but you all do this. You all do this with... Uh, of course we do. But you do. <laughs> you have your Harkness discussions. Yeah. Um, Harkness being the, was it Latin word for table? So you no, have, no. Harkness um, was a dude's name who invented the thing. Oh, was that really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought I meant table. It was like Dave Harkness. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Harkness. Dwayne, Dwayne, wasn't Dwayne, Dwayne the, the rebellion Dwayne god, god from last god that got podcast? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm Dwayne, but and I don't accept it. <laughs> but you have these discussions. You um, are doing, I guess you normally have this on the back end of the mm-hmm. um you read the book first and then um, have the discussion, mm-hmm. right? So are you saying that you should be having the discussions beforehand? And I think then- maybe a little bit of it. I, I mean, was thinking about how to play it in. And yep. the So I'm hoping no eighth graders are listening at this point. Doubtful. But stunt I kind of want to pull next year before we do the Iliad is bring him in, make him do a group project, and put one kid in charge of every group. Let him turn it in. And then... The kid in charge gets a good grade. Huh? No, and then one kid. Mm-hmm. I'm... I'm just going to dress him down. Like, I'm going to say this it's messed up. is horrible. Like, you you are the worst, and I, I think you have failed everyone in your group, and everyone in your group is, like, getting an F. And I can do that because I'm the teacher. No matter how hard they worked, everyone's... And just, like, I'm going to watch this kid melt in this chair, and I'm going to say, I'm going to stop and say, okay, how do you feel right now, hmm. and what do you want to do? And see what he says. Because that's the experience Achilles had. Achilles had fought and fought and fought, and then Agamemnon took his prize. Yeah, and you're getting an email from a parent. Yeah, oh, 100%. now. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but that kid would read that book with higher stakes than he had ever had before. Yeah. And it would make it real for them. They've never been in a position where they have subordinates, and then they get dressed down by a superior in front of subordinates. Yeah. Right. That doesn't that doesn't happen for kids typically. So now, so AJ, you've sort of illustrated a really great point, and that is that kid is going to have a relationship with the text in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and presumably all the students are going to have a relationship with that text in a different way. Um, can you, but that their relationship with that text is going to be hard to measure. Um, one of the reasons why, this is sort of Hicks's claim, one of the reasons why the, anal- the classroom has become more of an analytical only realm is because the analytical is a lot easier to measure and to grade than um, uh, any of this sort of I don't know, what, what I think a lot of people will call it like a soft soft 
or a non-scientific way it's, of... It's hard to measure how clever something is. Yes, it's hard to measure it's hard how to clever something is. It's hard to measure how clever a student is. Um, and we mean clever, not smart. We, like, we mean clever, not smart. Um, uh, it's hard to... Um, and if classical education is really... Its main goal is to create people that love the good. That's hard to measure as well. I can measure your grammar. I can measure... Uh, your quality of writing, I can measure your argument, um, but I don't give a grade at the end of the year um, for how virtuous your child is. Um, I don't give a grade, uh, I, um, you know, you can get an A in an English class and be a liar. <laughs> you can get an A in an English class and be, yeah. and be kind of a toot. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot do very well in an English class and you can be closer to a saint than anybody at the school. And we're not doing a podcast on grading, but it does create uh, a, a lopsided incentive bias in the hearts and minds of students, and I don't blame them for it because it's it's it's, incent- it's incentives incentivize a certain kind of behavior um, that sometimes is in line with virtue formation, and other times it's an, it's not. Um, anyway, sorry, what behavior? You're saying grades and I'm saying gra- I'm saying oh. grades grade incentives uh, sometimes are in line with virtue. Hard yes, work, but, yeah. uh, diligence. Uh, you generally people who work hard can get usually get rewarded, um, but it, it's not necess- it's, It doesn't, but it doesn't translate to good grades mean virtuous person. Just like how like wealth doesn't translate to smarts. Are you telling me my 4.0 in high school does not mean I'm a good person? No. I didn't get one of those by the way. You not, your 4.0 <laughs> does not mean you're a good person, but you're the 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 friendship the friend that I know you are. Uh, mean, means that um, um, a 4.0 in life is that what? Yeah, you're the 4.0 in life. life. I'm a valedictorian <laughs> at life. Um, um, anyway, so that's that's um, where, where, where are we going with this? Um, we can teach analytically easily. Synthetically is hard. We can assess analytically easily. Uh, we can teach these things. Um, uh, I think uh, part of synthetic. Education just has to be, I mean, you've said before, the the teacher's material. The teacher is the curriculum. Right, yeah. teacher is the curriculum. And so demonstrating an active wit and synthesis and using analogies and helping them evaluate analogies and helping them, them to compare things, mm-hmm. like it's going to be hard to measure. You're never going to be able to say, everybody write an analogy and then say, this analogy gets an A. This analogy, it's, they're, they're like a criteria would be really difficult, mm-hmm. but I think you have to model those things. Mm-hmm. Um uh, the fear. So, I mean, uh, the, the fact is, is that if the teacher is a curriculum, um, when it comes to essentially the humanities, um, math and science is a little, is different. Um, even arts and writing is, so if you, is in the middle and then sort of the humane letters is, is on the, is on the, the sort of one end of, of objective versus subjective. Um, um, that the students will end up coming out like the teacher. Like if the teacher is a curriculum, um, the students, uh, there will, AJ will produce students who are like AJ. Um, and <laughs> so it, far, I don't think I'm nailing it. I gotta um, be honest. But that is incredibly hard in, um, a, uh, a system that wants to create students that are sort of indistinguishable parts at the end of their education, right? Like, we want to stamp students, class of 27, 2018, 
Um, they can all do these skills. Yep. They can all sort of be slotted into the, to the modern world um, indistinguishably because they can all do these sorts of certain things. Uh, and there's a usefulness to that. Um, but there's, but uh, classical education has this tension in that um, the teacher is molding the students into the ideal type and the teacher themselves is trying to be more of the ideal type than the students are. So the, te- the students are trying to imitate the teacher to be like the ideal type. It's like when Paul, when he said, all right, guys, if you can't be like Christ, be like me because I'm trying to be like Christ. Um, um, it, so the, the teacher sort of says, if you, um, if you don't understand what it means to be a human being, uh, uh, like a, a fully mature person who loves the good, try to be like Hannenberg because I, because Hannenberg is someone who's trying to love the good. Mm-hmm. So imitate him, try to write like him, try to think like him, try to have jokes like him because he's trying to love the good. Um, um, but I think there's a lot of, there's sort of fear that of that, uh, of the idiosyncrasies of teachers, um, and, uh, and sort of student body. I don't know. It's, it's, um, and I, and I, there's also, you, I mean, if you make a whole bunch of really just quality charitable men that can't multiply fractions. Yeah. Like you, you, you there, sure. there are fundamental skills you for need existing to have in the world. And so yeah. there has to be that tension between mm-hmm. teaching virtue and also including basic skills for life, right? Mm-hmm. If, if these are lib- liberal arts and our goal is to make them free, mm-hmm. then skills are a piece of that. And if like, if the end is to create someone who loves what is good, we need, to, fractions. we need to remember that math is <laughs> a good, good that math is good in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Like it is a good thing to work with numbers. The men who discovered math, or at least many of them, thought they were uncovering the timeless mysteries of the universe right. because some of those things didn't exist. Like they are. triangles don't really exist naturally very easily. And so when you discover that it's a thing that can be multiplied and worked with and it's it's purely in the realm of idea, you're you feel like you're discovering something secret about the universe that puts you in the realm of the gods. And that's how these men felt, which is kind of mind-blowing if you approach math that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot more human than if you approach math like um, the thing to get me a grade. And in the future, a Prius. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you can be our well, dev. You guys don't want a Prius? No, I don't, I don't <laughs> can be a, Prius. You can no. be at work on our dev team for Clouder. Uh, our, oh, our hey. <laughs> thank you for all the yeah. emails Live forever uh, with clouds in your home yeah. clouds in your Power. car um anyway so i um, this is the thing that fascinates me the most is sort of the tension between um teacher as curriculum and um the um the schooling for everybody that uh, uh that we have in the modern world i mean plato and aristotle um didn't really have to work uh, worry about large class sizes and doing this for everybody because they just would like right. take Alexander the Great and teach one kid. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we don't, have, we don't do that. Th- that tension is the only thing that I feel gives me job security in the face of internet schools. Yeah, and robot mm-hmm. teachers. Right, and, and robot teachers and video teaching. Or, like, or I can Khan teach Academy. you skills on... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Khan Academy can teach you all sorts of skills. And it's good. It's not. It's I, I'm good. not disparaging Khan Academy. I think that there is a... There is definitely a role for, for the objective online. side of learning yeah, to be right. done online. But I don't, I don't know Khan... I've never seen him be charitable and I can't talk to him about my life and learn from him. And so there's, there's just a whole element of educating the person that is missing from those videos mm-hmm. or uh, the, the apprenticeship, should, the apprenticeship yeah. side of education. There, there's a relationship there that I think, at, you know, it, maybe it doesn't guarantee that schools don't have trouble as they move digital, sure. but I think it's going to guarantee that there are some schools that survive just because they make, 
quality kids. Mm-hmm. Cool. Hmm. Um, yeah. I guess in the other, also, if the school were to get too large, that could be a problem in the same vein. Like some of this depends on the student being able to know the teacher. Yes, yeah, it, for sure. And, and it also mm-hmm. depends on the hiring practices. If you if hire a bunch of derpy teachers, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, if there's no charisma there, like it's it's a it's a high requirement on the hirers, and it also I'm, I'm gonna say high more. Uh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it is a a lofty requirement on the people who hire teachers, and it's also a lofty requirement on the teachers themselves to be the kind of person that a student might want to imitate. Yeah. Um, I remember I had a teacher when I was young that I loved. She was fantastic. She was smart. She wanted to learn things and do things and she was engaging and then I left that school and my sister had her a few years later and she had grown bitter and cynical and hated teaching and hated students and my sister hated her like she just yeah. uh, something had happened in her life that had turned her soured her that, that had yeah. soured her and and then my sister hated the class and didn't get nearly as much out of it as I did so yeah. that can happen mm-hmm. anyway cool anything else Graham that's it just yeah just that um uh Serves teaching is kind of a terrifying thing when I yes. sort of break it down. <laughs> yeah. But, and also you, I guess you just need to be honest in there being a normative aspect to what you're doing, right? That it's not mm. just teaching skills. I did remember the last thing I wanted to say. Um, if, if teaching comes up, <laughs> we got it in the podcast. The dog, dog really wants us to hang out. It's okay, Daco. We're coming, buddy. <laughs> um, if, if a teacher or if a uh, educational model really comes at a tabula rasa style, uh, anthropology, that human beings are blank slates, yep. um, teaching very quickly becomes, propaganda yes that sure. you have ends that you want and i'm and here are the ways that i'm going to put these ends in the other way around if it's normative it's not propaganda it's like propagating humans right um you're not because at that point you're not using the student to get a certain end it's there's something in them that you're growing we're, we're all trying to get to that end. yes yeah yeah. yeah yeah and maybe we're further along and, I, and that's the mimetic part of teaching yeah sorry i'll wrap up because of the whining dog that, <laughs> that's he just really wants us to be done poor dog so this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. Uh, you can email us with uh, ideas for topics or uh, wanting to invest in our Series B. <laughs> yes, thank, Series yeah. B. It's been an incredible Series A. It's, I want to thank you all for the um, $1.3 billion valuation. We have no um, proof of concept. Not but, uh, zero, not, but, um, you know. We're getting there. We're getting, we'll, we'll figure it out by probably Series D or E. Um, uh, all we need to do is get valuated high and then sell this stinger. Oh, yeah, seriously, yeah. We already got golden parachutes lined up. That's rock and roll. Uh, so yeah, classical stuff at veritasacademy.net to email us. You can follow us on Twitter at C L S S C A L stuff at classical stuff. You, is there, what else? You're an email, a website. Well, website, we have classical email? stuff, classical stuff.net. Uh, if you are enjoying these episodes, would love if you would rate and, uh, man, give us that five star. Um, that'd be awesome. So, sweet, sweet five stars. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who has. That's all we're here for, really. <laughs> Just <laughs> and, hungering for that five yeah, star. And a lot of you have reviewed. So we're doing you. it for the grades. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all it's here for. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is Thomas and Graham and AJ, and we are signing off. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And Doc. And Bye, Doc. 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 Do